Hey everyone, this is Dr. James Spencer, and you're listening to Thinking Christian. On today's episode, we have a guest host, Maggie Hubbard. Maggie works with me at Useful to God Ministries and was my co-host on our previous podcast, Faithful and Flawed. Some time ago, Maggie had the opportunity to interview Joshua Broom, an ex-pornography star turned pastor. In this episode, they talk about his experiences in the porn industry and what it's like to be a pastor today. I hope you enjoy the conversation, and I look forward to being back with you on the next episode of Thinking Christian. Hi, listeners. Today, I have an amazing guest on with me. I actually came across this gentleman on TikTok one day, and his story just really intrigued me and inspired me to follow him and learn more about him. Fast forward to like six months later, I decided to reach out to him and ask him if he wanted to do an interview with me. And he actually got back to me. And I am so excited because his story is truly one about redemption and the love of Christ meeting you where you're at, no matter your past and your circumstances. Joshua's story and testimony is truly amazing. And I'm so excited for him to share that with you guys today. Joshua was one of the most successful adult film stars in the world. In fact, he had actually won Male Entertainer of the Year. He obtained fame, wealth, and traveled the world all to find out that none of those could fill the emptiness in his heart. Today, he is a passionate communicator of the message of restoration, and he is healed through the life-giving power that's only found in Jesus. And today he has been married for five years and has three beautiful sons and has totally devoted his life to Christ. I am so excited to hand it off to Josh for him to tell his story about redemption and how you're never too far gone, that God can meet you in the midst of your mistakes and your struggles, and he can completely turn it around. So Josh, I'm going to hand it off to you. Yeah, so my story, I think it would be appropriate to start like with my childhood. So I grew up in a really small town in South Carolina. My mom had me when she was 16, and we lived with my grandma, my aunt, and my two uncles, and my grandparents. And everything was great, but I didn't have a relationship with my dad. He lived in the very small town that I also lived in. So I saw this guy who was my dad, but he was never my father. And for someone who has a very aggressive, like achiever personality, it was just tough, like knowing he was there, but he wasn't like in a relationship with me. So that was difficult. So that caused me to want to earn my acceptance. So I had to be the best in school. I had to be the best in sports. I had to get the most girls. I had to achieve, achieve, achieve that momentary, you know, acceptance or affirmation or conquest. And it dulled the pain and tried to momentarily fill the gap that I had in my heart. But that carried on. I started modeling when I was 14 or 15, had a decent amount of success, had an agent, all that jazz, went to college. Well, I made it through about two and a half years of college. I was there a little bit longer. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I, was in a, I was in a fraternity and I, I wasn't there for academics. But I leave there and decide to put myself in closer proximity to the jobs that I wanted to get in Hollywood. So I sold everything and I moved there and I landed an agent. I mean, things were looking good and I was working a decent amount. 
but I was living far beyond my means. So just like if you would go to any coffee shop or restaurant, it's like, I'm an actor, but I'm also just waiting tables right now. Just, you know, between it being expensive and work being inconsistent. But I find myself at this restaurant, four girls are sitting sitting at this table. They're cute. So I'm going to go over and put on my Southern charm. They tell me like, hey, would you be interested in acting? And I told them that I was an actor and I thought that that was going to be my segue to an opportunity through a casting agent. But they quickly tell me that they're they're porn stars mm-hmm. and they're inviting me into their world. I had seen porn, but I didn't really think that those people on a screen were actual people who did that for a living. And yet here is a living, breathing what I thought to be a fictitious part of my imagination that was just something to lust after, but they were real people inviting me into their world. And I was curious. I was confused. And I was like, I don't know. I I don't know what to say. And they said, well, just, uh, will you meet with our agent? And I hear that and it was familiar language. So I was like, okay, sure. And I thought it was going to be really weird, but it wasn't in the sense where it was a very nice building. There were very nice cars there in this private garage. I go up this elevator, walk down this hallway, and then there's this desk, guy in a three-piece suit, big double Windsor tie, English guy, head shaved, really thick English accent. And he just asked me, like, what are you doing out here? And I tell him, you know, I grew up with my mom and I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a model. I wanted to be famous. Long story short, He presented to me a a fictitious or a counterfeit version of my dream after hearing that. So he hears everything I want to do. And he's like, okay, there's not a a lot of good looking guys in porn. You have acting experience. The porn industry is shifting to where parroting these big movies. I think you'll make as much money as you want and you'll be famous. I didn't really know what to say. And kind of the way it works is if you want to do, you know, those films, the first thing you have to do is there's this standardized testing facility that everyone gets a full panel STDs test and AIDS test. And they do that every like two and a half, three weeks, something like that. Wow. There's a window that you have to be within. It's almost like your driver's license can't expire and your your test can't expire. I I mean, that's kind of like how it works. That's your work visa. So I, I took that test and then the next day, I show up to set to do this movie, and I honestly don't really remember what the thought process was. I, I remember like being very hesitant, and, and even when I told him yes, I, I didn't really plan on following through with it. Right. But I showed up, and I thought, okay, what's the worst going to happen? They're going to like hand me this camcorder or whatever, and I'm going to go in this room with this girl. And I walk in, and there's a receptionist. There's catering. There's wow multiple assistants there. There's camera A, B, and C. There's a production assistant going around. It's bigger than some of the sets that I I shot. Like you know, some people have been in B movies. I've been in a few C movies where I was like holding my own boom and stuff. Right. But it was strangely familiar, and you felt more comfortable, maybe a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it just wasn't anything like I thought it was going to be. It actually like. Once I got there, I kind of felt like I can't leave. Mm. Like I've gone too far. Someone comes up to me and is like, hey, here's this pill. Take it if you want. It's in your hand. It's yours. Throw it away. Take it. I don't care what you do. If you've never taken one before, bite it in half because it's pretty strong. So it was Viagra. And Mm. I was like, 
okay, I've never taken this before. I don't know what to do. <laughs> and I'm freaking out. And I'm, I'm in the bathroom, like giving myself this, like, not even a pep talk, just like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, I should leave. And I just kind of felt like I'd gotten myself into something I couldn't get myself out of. The director says, okay, we're ready for you. And I walk over to this like stadium of lights without never speaking to this girl once. I walk into these lights and next thing I know it's over and I'm on the way home and I feel lit, like literally feel dirty, confused, mm-hmm. guilty. And I, I feel like that happened. And then within two or three weeks, that movie's out and my agents all fire me. Okay. And you know, that obviously breaches things in contracts. And then I was kind of seeing a girl and I tell her what I did. And she, you know, tells me to hit the road mm-hmm. and she was kind of the nucleus of a lot of my friends. And she worked at that restaurant. She was uh, a pretty successful dancer. She had been in a few like Britney, like videos. She worked at a dance studio, really on her way to like making something of herself. So I ruined that. And all of our friends who had been her friends much longer was like that guy's, you know, the bad guy. So I felt guilty and ashamed. So I, I quit that job. And then my mom finds out and then I'm having this humiliated, my mom's like angry and disappointed. So I just like, man, my whole life that I've been working for, for the last 22 years, kind of just blew up in my face. Mm-hmm. And then I'm in the middle of just like sulking and just like not knowing what, like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. It's like, I'm out here to model an act. Then my phone rings and the agent says, Hey, you know, everything went great. I would love to offer you a contract. And that one mistake turned into a six year career where I did over a thousand movies I got nominated for Best Male Performer three times. I won it in 2012, which was my last year in the industry. And I traveled all over the world and made well over a million dollars in those six years. And when I won Performer of the Year, it's like this is the pinnacle of success in that mm-hmm. industry. And I had achieved it. What I realized in that moment, I had everything that I, I told myself, if I had this I would be happy. If I had this money, I would be happy. If I traveled the world, I would be happy. If I had enough girls, I would be happy. If I had this and this and this and this. And that award was kind of like the pinnacle of all of that. And I I realized that it didn't make me happy. And that had a drastic impact on me. I spiraled into this depression that I just feel like I couldn't get out of. And every day I was asking God that I knew about because I went to church growing up. So I knew about God, but I didn't know him. Mm-hmm. And I was asking like, God, if you're there, I really don't want to live because I believe, I believe that ruined my life. There's, there's yeah. no way that I'm going to be a dad. There's no way that I'm going to be a husband. There's no way that I'm going to be a contributor to society in any capacity. What gifts and talents do I have? What do I have to offer? I'm absolutely useless other than selling myself in this way. I have no value. What am I supposed to do? And that depression had been, it, it didn't spawn out of nowhere in that moment. It had been happening over the last like year. And I walk into this bank and I normally would go ATM or Dropbox because I didn't want to deposit the check because on the check and the memo, it said what it was for. Yeah, I didn't want to face that music, but to this day I didn't have a choice. So I walk in 
put the check down. Do you have your account number? No. Swipe your card, looks it up, puts it in my account. Here's your receipt. And I go to walk away. And she says, Joshua, is there something I can do for you? Joshua, can I help you? And it wrecked me because I had stopped answering the phone when my mom was calling. I stopped answering her text messages. I stopped answering my brother's calls. I unfriended everyone on social media. There was no one in my life that called me Joshua. So when I heard my name, it was the first mm-hmm. time I'd heard it in 18 months. Wow. It just like snapped me out of this like fake, plausible reality that I had created based on a lie. Hey, everyone. After a brief word from our sponsor, we'll dive back into the interview with Maggie and Joshua. It goes without saying, but the Bible has changed so many lives. Take a second and think about it. If you didn't have access to a Bible or were even allowed to have one, this is a reality that many are facing. That's why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country, and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my book, Christian Resistance. Simply text THINKING to 71326 to help today. That's T-H-I-N-K-I-N-G. Or visit give.crew.org backslash thinking. Again, that's give.cru.org backslash thinking. Message and data rates may apply. Available to U.S. addresses only. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I wasn't there for my mom when she needed me because I was her protector. I always was, you know, as, as someone who my mom's gorgeous and I was, she was 16 when she had me. So growing up, she's still very young and just hurt. And then like that, that was the catalyst for me to pick up the phone I quit. I quit. I quit. I called my agent. I call, you know, my PR person. They put out a press release. I quit. And then most people would that have only heard my story once or twice. They think, yeah, I quit. I become a Christian. Hooray! You know, I, my life has changed. But there was actually a two-year gap okay. in between when I quit until that happened, and it was miserable. I covered up my tattoos. I deleted my social media. I got a job working at a gym and working in a grocery store. And every single person that I would talk to for more than a minute, like, wait, aren't you that guy? Mm-hmm. Because currently on HBO and Cinemax, 
I probably did 50 of those like Skinamax movies. Okay. So if you were watching Cinemax or HBO past 10 o'clock, you were seeing my face. <laughs> yeah. And that award show was all over Showtime. So they were like, you're, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. You're that guy. I just wanted to get away from that. And then two years, I just, I lied and I ran and I lied. I would lie about my past. I would make up things about my dad because I was ashamed that I just didn't have a relationship with him. I was just a mess. And then in the process, that gym that I was working at, they really poured into me and I eventually became a manager. And another gym had an opening and I stepped into like a more higher up position in this gym. And now I'm I'm making enough money where I don't have to work at the grocery store and things are good. And I have a bunch of personal training clients and my life is like from the outside looking in, like it looks great, but I had night terrors every single night and I would keep having the same dream over and over again. And it was like, I'm walking out, I'm essentially like on a porn set and I'm naked and people are are like, I knew that was you just because like all the time I was looking over my shoulder, just waiting to be found out. Right. And like two years of that, this girl walks into the gym. I try to put her weights away after she worked out. And she's like, yeah, I'm good. I can put my own stuff away. I was like, oh gosh, later that day I asked her out on a date and she said, no, (laughs) I was like, wow. Like, okay. (laughs) And she's like, I'll tell you what, you can meet me for a run. I was like, I hate running, but whatever. I'll do what I have to do. I meet her for a run and I got there a little bit earlier than she did or running at this park. And I'm waiting for her to get there. And I just feel this overwhelming guilt. And it's just like, don't you dare hurt her. Mm-hmm. She doesn't deserve that. Just tell her the truth. And if she tells you she never wants to see you again, so be it. At least you did the right thing. And our run quickly turns into a walk. And I'm like, hey, I want to tell you something. And I tell her everything. And then she just kind of looks back at me. And then after... What seems like 10 minutes, she said, I I can't believe you just told me that. But you know that a person is not defined by the worst thing they've ever done. And they're not defined by the greatest thing they'll ever accomplish. God defines Mm. who someone is. Amen. And it's absolutely true. But in that moment, I was used to putting on the mask. So Mm. I was whoever the person on the other side of the table wanted me to be. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. I believe in God. God is real. Time, space, and matter had to come into existence at the same time. So there had to be a catalyst for that creation. So it had to be God. Absolutely. She's like, okay, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Like, do you pray? Like, are you walking with Jesus? And I was like, I knew the answer was no. And it was weird. And then she's like, well, here's my experience. And told me about her faith journey. And then all of a sudden we're talking about tacos. I'm like... (laughs) (laughs) what just happened? Because I thought I was going to be rejected. I was like, how are you responding this way? And then just like two people who meet, you know, sparks are flying and they're texting, you know, every 14 seconds. And I'm just crazy about this girl. And she's like, Hey, do you want to go to church this Sunday? And I was like, actually, yeah. I was like, the way that you responded to me and the things that you said to me, it actually cultivated this curiosity. Hey, everyone. After a brief word from our sponsor, we'll dive back into the interview with Maggie and Joshua. It goes without saying, but the Bible has changed so many lives. Take a second and think about it. If you didn't have access to a Bible or were even allowed to have one, 
This is a reality that many are facing. That's why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country, and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my book, Christian Resistance. Simply text THINKING to 71326 to help today. That's T-H-I-N-K-I-N-G. Or visit give.crew.org backslash thinking. Again, that's give.cru.org backslash thinking. Message and data rates may apply. Available to U.S. addresses only. And she's like, hey, do you want to go to church this Sunday? And I was like, actually, yeah. I was like, the way that you responded to me and the things that you said to me, it actually cultivated this curiosity Mm -hmm. and it broke down boundaries. So we go to this church and I walk in and the mission statement is just like plastered on this giant wooden plaque. When you walk in, it says, we want to love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And I was like, you want to love me where I'm at? You don't know where I've been. You don't know me. Right. I'm the chief of sinners. And we could go in and it's a very modern church and music was great. Everything was great. And I'm engaged. And then this guy walks out and I grew up going to a Southern Baptist church where, you know, you're going to hell. (laughs) Yep. Yep. I totally. Iron brimstone. And it was so legalistic that I don't even, I don't ever remember hearing the gospel because for many reasons, mostly because of how I saw myself. But somewhat casually dressed man that reminds me of my grandfather walks out on stage and he's got a real thick southern accent and he just starts telling the story and he's being vulnerable and he's talking about how he's not perfect. And he tells this story about Mephibosheth from First Samuel. And how Jonathan and David had this special friendship and then Jonathan dies and David becomes king. And it is customary that the previous kingdom is wiped out. They kill everyone because they don't want anyone to think they have access to the existing kingdom. And David wasn't that type of king. And he actually sent his guard to find Mephibosheth because he was the only member of the family that was remaining. And there's a little bit of backstory to it with like Mephibosheth, like he knew that was coming and this nurse was carrying him and dropped him. And so he was, we don't know exactly, but he was, maybe he had a trouble walking, but he find, they find him. This guard finds them as a beggar. He's expecting death because he knows history and history tells Mephibosheth that he deserves death. Mm-hmm. Instead, that guard extends grace and David restores his land and David invites him to his table and not just a seat, the best seat and not for a day, a week or a month, but forever. And then he continues and he's like, so much more does Jesus want to do for you? Because Jesus extends his grace like this. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there's a wedge in between a perfect God and us. And sin causes that. But Jesus loved you so much that he died the death that you deserve. And you have access to God if you put your faith in him. And I was just like, it all made sense. I'm pretty emotional. So I'm like, I'm crying. It's, It's crazy because... 
for me, like as I'm surrendering myself to Jesus, I'm letting go of not the shame and the guilt from porn. I'm letting go of not feeling like I was enough my Mm -hmm. entire life. And in that moment, what really just smashed me literally to my knees was that my entire life, I was longing for a father and I realized that I had one. Yeah. And I was just like filled with love and peace and and I gave my life to Jesus. And and then just to expedite the story that about a week later, I walk into, so this was a pretty big church in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I walk into this pastor's office and I'm like, hey, Pastor Gary, can I talk to you for a second? He's like, sure. I was like, I feel like God wants me to build a boat. He's like, what <laughs> are you talking about? I was like, well, God wants me. I feel like God wants me to do something that's bigger than I can comprehend. And my grandfather taught me that if I want to do something, I need to learn how to do it well. And I need to ask a lot of questions to someone who is doing what I want to do. So I'm here to ask a lot of questions. He's like, man, I'm so glad you're here. There's this guy down the hall. <laughs> his his name is <laughs> Andrew and his family just moved here. He just graduated recently from Dallas Theological Seminary and his family are, they're going to help launch a, a new campus that we're planning. And I was supposed to meet with Andrew one time for him to figure out how to read the Bible mm-hmm. correctly, just understand context. And little did I know, or did he know that we would spend the next four years together. I would end up interning there and we spent about 15 to 20 hours a week together for about four, wow. four and a half years. As this time's going on, I started to get opportunities to share my story. And I remember the first time that I shared my story is five years ago. This radio show was having their like yearly, like just event honoring some of like the big givers. And right. they had King of Country was there. I don't know, but it was like, it was a big event. And I'm the speaker. I'm going to share my story. And for me, like the way that I think, I was like, okay script or like coaching. So it's like, I know exactly what I'm going to say. And I had 16 minutes to talk and I get up there. And as I step out there, I just feel this, like, I don't know. I went from like being terrified to eerily calm. Yeah. And I intended on sharing this long story and telling it in this eloquent way where, you know, it was captivating and engaging Uh in this And I spent about three minutes, I just blasted through the story, about three minutes. And then I shared the gospel for the rest of the time. Never in my life have I felt more certain that I was doing something that I was made to do. And I loved it. God started opening doors. Mm -hmm. And today I'm teaching and preaching all over. Most amazing part of the story which I've held on to that I, I don't normally land the plane because I get too excited. But what's amazing is that person. So Colossians four, five, and six, it talks about we are to walk in wisdom towards those who are without and our interactions with people, our speech needs to be gracious and seasoned with salt so that we might know how to answer each person. And the way that she answered me broke down boundaries. And that person that we went on that walk we had that conversation and she invited me to church. She's been my wife for five years. It'll be six years this year. And we have three beautiful boys together. So amazing. That's my story in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. Your story is so amazing. You know, in this world that we live in with porn so accessible at our fingertips and even only fans, like just... Yeah becoming more increasingly popular, it's important for men like you to stand up and say, hey, 
Yeah. I have walked this walk. It yeah. did not fulfill me. The only thing that could is Jesus. So fight the new drug. Just put out a new study. 53% of boys, 39% of girls reported believing that pornography is a realistic depiction of sex. Right. Why do you think that is? Do you think that it's just so easily accessible at our fingertips that just they just watch it whenever they want? Yeah. And, and I think like if I always had dessert for dinner, like growing up, I'm just kind of painting the picture of society. It's like if something is constantly seen, it becomes normalized. Mm -hmm. So society is so over-sexualized that what was pornography 20 years ago is on TV, Mm -hmm. unscreened, not no big deal. So it's a problem because we've allowed it to be. And I think as parents, first and foremost, we have to have conversations with our children Mm -hmm. because if we allow someone to be the initiators of that conversation, now they have the authority over the conversation because they first heard it from them. And now you're playing catch up and you're playing catch up with the world. So those stats are real and they're absolutely alarming. I could go on and on with the stats, but I mean, the fact that if you take Netflix, Hulu and Google, add them all together, Mm Every day, that's how many times people are watching porn a day in the world. So it's easily accessible and it's a lie. So it's like, why does OnlyFans exist? Why do these things exist? Because if we believe a lie to be true, then we will live like that lie is true. So when we don't pursue purity and we experience these things, it blurs boundaries. Because when I watch something on a screen that is not real, I was in those movies. There's, you know, you, you see 20 minutes of footage. There's three hours of footage. It's just like any other thing. There's two actors being paid to be there that don't really want to be there because no one is a prostitute and they lay their head down the night and they're proud of themselves. So no one really wants to be there. There's a director telling you what to do. And then there's editing that happens. So it's like the product that you're seeing is so far removed from what actually happens. Yeah. And in addition to that, just really land a plane. The content that people are watching. So there's 30 people who I was dear friends with, close Mm -hmm. friends. This was their path. They get in the industry. They become really popular. They stay in the the industry for about five years. But all of a sudden, their work starts to dissipate somewhat. And then that agent, they have this list. So each and every person, predominantly girls, have this list. These are things I don't want to do. These are people I don't want to work with. Okay. And they take those things and they call the big companies like, hey, this person hadn't done that because if they hadn't seen them done it, all of a sudden it's taboo, so it's valuable. They auction off to the highest bidder, and wow. then they call the, they call the girl back. And they're like, hey, this company called and offered $50,000 if you would just do that thing that you said you wouldn't want to do. But I know you said you didn't want to do it, but here's the thing. If you do it, then you'll be relevant again, and then you'll, your popularity will peak. And then they do it. It's, it lost its luster. It's no longer taboo. It's no longer worth anything. That's just something that you do that you said you didn't want to do. And on top of that, that lasts for a while and then work dissipates again. The agent says, well, I also own an escorting agency. So because you're popular, I can get you jobs like that. So now you're you're essentially literally prostituting yourself. And all of a sudden, if, if your popularity dissipates again, now you're like hanging on for dear life. But you used to you used to be popular. So the strip clubs will pay you to feature dance. But again, like that starts to dissipate and all of a sudden your phone's not ringing and people have been telling you for five, six, seven years that this is all you can do. And because of what you've already done, it diminished your worth. 
you you start asking yourself like, well, if my phone's not ringing, my life must not be worth living. When 30 people who were in the industry with me, who were incredible people made the image of God, ended their life. Wow. Because their phone stopped ringing and they didn't believe their life was worth living. Those 30 girls, their content is still online. And some of those names are in the top 10 most watched list. So you're watching the Mm -hmm. content that killed that person. Wow. Well, thank you so much for being on here. If someone is struggling with porn, what do you recommend doing? Number one, you have to be honest. You can only be as free as you're honest. So if I'm going to be honest, I need to know that porn is harmful for me and it hurts the people that I love most. Secondly, I need to take inventory of my life. What do I need to remove from my life that's going to allow me to move in the direction that I want to go? Who am I being influenced by? Who am I following on social media? I need to take inventory of those things. If if it's not a hard yes, they got to go, especially in the beginning. And then I got to put boundaries in my life. I need to make it more difficult to do the thing that I don't want to do. And then lastly, have someone in your life that you can have hot conversations with, honest, open, and transparent. That's going to genuinely ask you how you were doing and lovingly correct you if you're moving in a way that you don't want to go. Well, Joshua, thank you for sharing your heart and your story. And I love to see how God's using you to just change lives and what a story of redemption. So thank you. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the Thinking Christian Podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Life Audio. Hi, friend. Are you stressed, maybe even worried about so many needs around you that you've forgotten you are worth taking care of, too? Well, I'm Bonnie Gray, the host of Breathe, the Stress Less podcast. I want to invite you to join me as I share practical tips based on science, inspired by God's Word, to help you spark joy and restore God's peace and love to your soul. Subscribe now and go to lifeaudio.com.